actual love version that. of the app. House <laughs> I said housemaker, which is also gender neutral. Housemaker, well, if I may. You. There you go. <laughs> what, I lo- I lo- what I love is how that comes above lawyer. It's like, <laughs> it's, people would rather do that. I, yeah. I would, actually. I'd I mean, rather I'm, be a house spouse. I don't wow, journalist is way down there. I know. But it did and make that's, a list. That's, that's my next favorite point. <laughs> We're right at the bottom there in number 24. I, I'd be a farmer, for sure. Yeah, a farmer, you know, why More not? More than a journalist. Writer. Over I'm advertising, writer. definitely. <laughs> or politician. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel somewhat heartened to see politicians falling. No, we love politicians, right? Well, yes, but also it's quite sad to see us right at the bottom there. Well, there you go. That's today's brain game. I hope you had as much fun as we did. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? How do you make a hotel thrive in the time of COVID? It's a question that RTI's neighbor, the Grand Hotel, has figured out. It hasn't been easy, but this nearly 70-year-old hotel has two aces up its sleeve that have helped immensely. One is the hotel's romantic past. Who wouldn't want to stay in a place that's hosted everyone from Dwight D. Eisenhower to Elizabeth Taylor? And then there's the hotel's current chairman, Lin Yusheng. Under his leadership, the hotel has started to use its storied past to its advantage, opening up long-hidden secrets to the Taiwanese public. The response has been enthusiastic, to say the least. The hotel has even started turning a profit, something it hadn't done in more than 20 years. Over the past two weeks, I've taken you to some of the recently opened attractions the hotel has to offer. We've seen the secret Cold War tunnels that run beneath the hotel, and the house where the hotel's first manager, a mysterious woman named Kong Er, once rested in her off hours. This week, we're heading to the hotel's top floor, to the office of Mr. Lin himself, to see just how far the hotel has come, despite all of the crises the past few years have thrown at it. When Mr. Lin took over here in 2019, times were tough. With Taiwan in the run-up to a presidential election, China decided the time was right to throw its weight around. Beijing decided that none of its nationals would be allowed to visit Taiwan for half a year. Chinese tourists accounted for 40% of the Grand Hotel's income. But Mr. Lin had an idea for how to get out of this mess. As we've seen over the past few weeks, this hotel is filled with nostalgic elegance and stories to tell. Why not make that the selling point and attract a flood of domestic tourists to pick up the slack? Mr. Lin started organizing culture and history-themed tours of the hotel. Within three months, 50,000 people had showed up. Rooms were fully booked and the restaurants were packed, too. It's just not hard to see the appeal of a place that's hosted the monarchs of everywhere from Tonga to Thailand. Several events important to Taiwan's modern history happened here, too. And let's not forget all the movies and TV series shot here over the years, including the Chinese-speaking world's first-ever film shot in color. You can feel the weight of history here, and that's before you've even sat down to eat at one of the hotel's luxurious restaurants.
七十年来元山这些即将失传的料理的工艺。In the early days, this was a government hotel that catered only to the biggest visiting VIPs. Profit and loss weren't issues, and no expense was spared. That's why some of the best-trained chefs in classic regional Chinese cuisines can still be found here and nowhere else. Mr. Lin says their level of craftsmanship comes with a hefty price tag that any other hotel here would balk at. As a result, some of these Chinese culinary traditions are even facing extinction. Culture and history; these are the Grand Hotel's strong points, and Mr. Lin's mantra. But Mr. Lin has proven that even things like pricey chefs don't have to mean heavy losses for the hotel. That's the ninth year, 竟然成为元山二十四年以来第一次在本业赚钱 On the contrary, his predecessors might have been content with running a deficit, but Mr. Lin has used the unique points like food to bring in the guests and rake in the cash. The hotel is now turning a profit. These tours were just a start. He proposed, "At the end of 2019, Mr. Lin also decided to open up one of the hotel's secret tunnels at the suggestion of an employee. All of the employees here knew that the tunnels existed, but even lifetime staff retired without ever figuring out exactly where in the hotel they were. Mr. Lin was taken aback." How could staff at any reasonable company know so little about the place they work every day? The first tunnel opening was a big success. Last year alone, he says, 170,000 people passed through on tours. The waiting list to get on one of these tours is now several months long, and the decision to open up the second tunnel in March this year is sure to draw in even more visitors. The tours themselves cost very little money, but they're tied in with packages that let visitors sample some of the hotel's fine cuisine. This brings in money and lets Mr. Lin fulfill what he sees as the hotel's real mission: to preserve a unique piece of Taiwan's history and culture and bring it to a wider audience, especially a domestic one. Chinese government policy and COVID-19 may stop visitors from outside Taiwan. But Taiwanese tourists are flooding in from all over the island. Mr. Lin says he's moved and humbled to see just how passionate they are about their own heritage. Admittedly, it hasn't all been smooth sailing. 前半年碰到钻石公主号有七十六位旅客来到这边。Early last year, 76 passengers on the Diamond Princess, that ship with all the COVID cases, stopped by the hotel during a port call here. The hotel saw bookings plummet by 40% during the first half of 2020, but in the second half, as Taiwan's anti-pandemic measures took hold, the hotel bounced back. The hotels also managed to thrive despite a trend for people heading to the countryside for their vacations, something that's left most of Taipei's hotels hurting pretty badly. It just goes to show the power of culture and history, Mr. Lin says, repeating his mantra once again. Now that we've heard all about that history, now seems like the right time to broach what may be a bit of a delicate subject. This hotel was founded long before Taiwan became a democracy, during the rule of Chiang Kai-shek. Chiang remains a deeply controversial figure in Taiwan, and the hotel's early years were definitely not a good time to be a dissident. There are regular calls to take down statues and other bits of Chiang's legacy. And judging from Mr. Lin's own background, you might think that he'd be all for de-Changifying the hotel. Lin is a former lawmaker from the Democratic Progressive Party, a party founded to challenge Chang's one-party system. You would expect him to be in favor of taking out all references to Chang at the hotel, but Mr. Lin has very consciously not done this. 
And in fact, before you enter the secret tunnels, you hear recordings of Chang's voice. Mr. Lin says that regardless of our feelings about Chang, we cannot erase the fact that a lot of the hotel story is his. Chang's wife, the First Lady, is the one who founded the hotel. And those secret tunnels we've talked so much about were largely built to protect this First Family, who were frequent visitors. Mr. Lin says we can't just erase these historical facts. So what's next for this burgeoning hotelier? What other secrets might we expect the hotel to reveal soon? Well, Mr. Lin says, there are some limitations to what the hotel can do. There's a lack of resources and space and the need to protect some priceless artifacts. So, for instance, the Eisenhower Suite is unlikely to open to the public anytime soon. It's just too small to host large numbers of people. But there is a lot else to discover here, and plenty of artifacts have already made their way into the open. These range from priceless vintage furniture and photos of famous guests to a pair of chairs that President Chiang Kai-shek and his wife, the First Lady, always sat in when they visited the hotel. Returning by elevator to the lobby after the interview in Lin's quiet office, I'm at once struck by the bustle. It's a cavernous lobby built to resemble the great palaces of China's imperial past. And it is packed, echoing with the sounds of tour groups being bussed in from all across Taiwan. With international travel off the table, people from Taiwan are rediscovering their own backyards. And the glamorous tales of the Grand Hotel's fabled past? Well, like Mr. Lin could see when he first came here two years ago, they draw people in like a magnet. Once the borders reopen and foreign visitors return, I bet it's going to be very hard to find a room here. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Do you ever find yourself in an unusual place and wonder how you got there? Well, recently, RTI's John Van Trieste encountered a fascinating retreat owned by one Mr. Lee, Lee Daka, and today he's going to bring us there through the medium of sound. I'm Andrew Ryan, and this is Ear to the Ground. An Ear to the Ground. Well, basically, it's just this little shack in the mountains. Now, when you think of a shack, you normally don't imagine, like, electricity or anything like that. But it's fully furnished. It's got, you know, a bathroom. It's got lights. And uh, there's a dog and two cats that live up there. But there's no windows. It's open to the outside. So you're, like, really in the middle of nature. This is high up on a mountainside. It's very steep. 
sort of a very overcast, heavy rain kind of day, and um, you're in there and it's dimly lit, and the radio's on and uh, playing classical music to the cats, I guess, <laughs> keeping them entertained. And you know, normally that kind of kind of very dank, damp, and dark kind of a place would make you feel sort of depressed. But actually, I felt it was very cozy. He's got knickknacks and tchotchkes and creepy statues everywhere and what lots of kind artwork. Of creepy statues did he have? He has a st- four statues and together they make up a jazz band. <laughs> There's a trumpeter, a saxophone, a guitar bass. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got lots of personal photos on the walls, a f- tea set, um, lots of evidence. I mean, he goes up there and uh, to drink with his buddies and um, you can see lots of empty bottles everywhere. Um, I mean, he sounds almost like a, a bachelor pad, except that he's married. He is married, yeah. He's got it, kids. It's his man pad. It's, you know, he lives in a very swanky neighborhood, too, in Tianmu. But every day he kind of takes off as soon as he gets out of bed and goes up there to, I guess, paint. I saw some paints. Um, and he's got his radio and he grows vegetables up there, too. Wow. Yeah, and there's a fish tank. He's really set it up very nicely. It's just surrounded by just green everywhere you go. Mm. Everywhere you go. He says that on weekends, he likes to invite his friends over and they ride their bikes up there. It reminds me kind of like the Swiss family Robinson. <laughs> you know? Taiwan style. Yeah. Like, like he just built this, I guess, you know, bit by bit as a hobby. And now that's like his retreat from the world. And what was his regular job before he retired? He did some designs for clothing, is my understanding. And yeah, he's he's not that old. He's in his 60s. He's a Hakka gentleman, and uh, he he really likes to just get away from it all. And there's no cell phone reception up there. Oh. Actually, I had to make a phone call. He said, no, 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 we don't have reception up here, and that's a good thing. <laughs> so it's like kind of really removed from civilization. It really is. It's in Yangmingshan National Park. Which is, I should point out, one of the only national parks that's located in a city in the entire world. Yeah. And we have it right here in Taipei. It, it is. And, you know, just, we were caught in the middle of a big rain shower, but somehow that enhanced the whole atmosphere. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a cozy feeling, you know, a mm. gloomy day, but you're indoors, sort of, mm-hmm. but also with nature. And what do you think he does when he's up there? I imagine he meditates a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very thought-provoking sort of a place, especially on a rainy day like that, where you've got these little, like pools of water for fish and mm-hmm. lilies, and it's drip, drip, drip. And so many different types of dripping sounds, too. Yeah, there's the pounding on the roof, but there's more gentle kind of plopping sounds, too. And what did the cats think of you being there? Um, they didn't like me very much, I, but the dog was very friendly. But um, the cats, they, they, they sat in the other room and watched. Uh-huh. They kind of thought, you know. I tried to convince them to talk. and Because uh, when they walked in, they were making a lot of noise. But then they didn't like the microphone. But then they kind of relaxed a bit. And uh, apparently the dog is afraid of them. So they have their own separate zones. What I really like about it, though, is that it's his personal retreat, but it's, it's actually a retreat for his whole group of friends. Mm. They all go up there and use it sort of communally. And now you can go up there, too, John. He, he said, you're welcome anytime. Don't even knock. Just go, come on in. That sounds great. Yeah, it's fun. Well, thank you so much for sharing this little uh, space in time. It's uh, always interesting to hear about fascinating places like this. Yes, and fascinating people, too. <laughs> I guess that's the main right. point. Right. <laughs> With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan.
pull yourself together already. It's time to feast. Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast. This is Ellen Chu. And this is Andrew Ryan. Welcome to Labor Day. That's right. And today I want to say happy birthday to my special labor in the studio. (laughs) Special laborer. Yeah, laborer. (laughs) Do you feel labored? I feel very belabored by this conversation. (laughs) You went through a labor on this Labor Day, right? Daily, actually. It's a daily occurrence for Andrew Ryan. Yes. So this is a special day the entire world is like celebrating with you. Yes, celebrating me, I think. (laughs) (laughs) So on this very special day, actually, what are we going to do? We're going to be celebrating boba. Have you heard about the boba apocalypse? Yeah, and this is something that I am so confused about because (laughs) how can boba be like, you know, uh, being like scarce right now? A commodity. It's a commodity that we didn't realize it was. So we should be like buying boba stocks (laughs) and investing like future in boba. I tell you what, you know, if you want to invest in boba, today is a great day to do that because I'm going to teach you how to make boba. Oh, yeah. It's just like, you know, making bitcoins, you know, and then generating <laughs> cryptocurrency. Oh, okay. Boba is the new cryptocurrency. Yes. Yeah, so listen to our show. Today, boba coin. We are going to make everybody a boba millionaire. It's <laughs> a boba nair. Yeah. <laughs> Some people might be listening and wondering, what the heck is boba? Should we explain what boba is before we go any further? Yes. Don't think. <laughs> You know, that you're thinking what we're thinking. You are thinking the right thing. Boba is the little pearl, you know, sticky little glutinous pearl ball in our milk tea. That's right. In your bubble tea, in your boba cha, yeah, boba milk tea, that is boba. When we're talking about, you know, investing in all these, you know, boba currency, they're like confused. Are you, what are they saying about boba? What boba currency? Boba currency. I love that. Boba. Bo- right? Bobalicious. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, with this, uh, you know, whole situation about boba being, you know, scarce and people are not getting, you know, moved with this commodity and not being able to trade it, I think we can make it into a currency, all right? I think so. Mm-hmm. I think I think we're on it, Ellen. We're Chu. on it. We're going to make so much money. Yeah, people, so much you coin. can actually mint your own boba. <laughs> <laughs> Into your own boba. I love it. You like it? I love it. Okay. All right, let's check out what's on our menu today. All right, in our first course, we'll tell you the reason for the shortage of boba. Oh, it's a very interesting reason. Fascinating. In the second course, I'm actually going to head into the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen to make boba from scratch using tapioca. Oh, so that is the process of minting. So please, you know, clear your, you know, your your ears and start listening, okay? That's right. Clear your schedule. Right. <laughs> and the final course will be sampling his homemade boba right here in the studio. Wow, that he's is challenging right. himself. I am challenging myself. I've also done something you're not usually supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I did? I actually froze the boba. But... It becomes hard. It does become hard. And everybody tells you, don't put it in the refrigerator. And I will say, do not put it in the refrigerator. That's don't accurate. Do it. However, 
I'm going to show to you today. It is possible to freeze boba and reactivate it. You mean revive it? Yeah, revive All it. Right. That's right. See, we are going to mint the boba <laughs> currency right here. Put it in your freezer. It becomes a currency. It becomes a currency. That's right. right. We're going to okay. heat that baby up. Hot dollars. All right. Mm -hmm. You ready for our first song? Yeah, definitely. This is called Boba Night Ha. Boba right. Milk Tea. Mm -hmm. And this is by Allison Chen. Chen Jingxiang. Everybody come by First course. All right, so what happened, okay? Why are we experiencing a boba apocalypse, maybe what you're asking yourself? Right, because if you can make it at home, why are we afraid of having this, you know, not being enough? Well, I think the thing is most people don't realize they can make it at home. Okay. But also, uh, there might be a shortage of tapioca, which is what you need to make it. Mm. Of course, we're talking about um, sweet, chewy tapioca balls called boba mm -hmm. that you find in boba tea. Mm -hmm. And this was uh, invented here in Taiwan in the 1980s. Even though a lot of shops look like they're like Thai or Korean, mm -hmm. this is Taiwanese, baby. Okay. Yes. So, ladies and gentlemen, we claim it in 1980, okay? That is right. So, boba is ours. That is <laughs> <laughs> Just to let you know. Okay. So, this is, of course, pandemic-related, I'm guessing you are guessing. Mm -hmm. This is not the first shortage. We've also seen shortages of toilet paper, right? Mm -hmm. We had a shortage here in Taiwan. Well, you know, a shortage of toilet paper was kind of like a false message, you know? Mm. Because people were thinking that all the material was going into 
into producing masks so that, you know, our toilet paper will be scarce, right? But it's different, right? But it's different. So what about boba? Is it something that is related into making our vaccine? No, no. no. The problem is, is there are so many shipments from Asia to the U.S. And this Mm -hmm. is a North American problem, this Mm -hmm. lack of boba. Maybe Mm -hmm. European as well. Um, but there's so many shipments from Asia because of e-commerce, mm-hmm. and there's not enough processing capacity. So there's not enough people to unload the boats at the docks. There's not enough people to oh. drive the trucks to handle this huge like influx of shipments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I see. as a result, they're getting bogged down, and some of the regular things like tapioca or boba, mm-hmm. those are getting stuck. In the process, the logistical problems. Mm. Interesting. Okay. You know what I heard? The Suez Canal boat. You remember the Ever Given? Mm-hmm. Apparently, some Canadian shops say that there's been a delay in trade and shipments that are connected to that boat that got Whoa. stuck in the Suez Canal. Oh, probably. Because <laughs> it apparently stopped up global trade for like weeks, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, lucky all my packages arrived on time. Did they? What did <laughs> yeah. you order? I well, I order a lot of stuff online, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, none of them were delayed. Maybe it's because it's coming the other way. You okay. were getting it from the from the other side of the Pacific. Probably, I got some from China, the other side of the Strait, right, and then I got some from the U.S. Mm-hmm. And they're all on time. Well, I would good. assume, like from California, would be the same route, right? Well, I think that nothing. There hasn't been a huge increase in people buying stuff o- online in Taiwan because mm-hmm. everything's kind of normal here. Mm-hmm. But I think in the places like North America, Canada, the U.S., mm-hmm. a lot of people aren't going out to stores to shop; mm-hmm. they're buying online. Mm-hmm. So it's coming. Yeah, it's changing the way we buy stuff. I see. So apparently these boba shops, they're having problems with other things. Mm -hmm. They're running out of flavorings. They're running out of those fat straws you need to suck up the boba. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It's a crisis. It's a crisis. What if we can't get our boba? (laughs) Bobageddon. Yeah. So now, if it's like on the stock market, you should buy. That's right. (laughs) The price is going to go up. Apparently, this is going to last for a long time. NPR is saying that it could uh, last until the summer. (gasps) Oh, my. Mm. So what, what do you think people should eat instead of boba? What would you put in your tea? I would put in some um, jelly. Okay. You know, like those coconut jellies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So so they're kind of like jelly like. Mm -hmm. So they're made with coconut milk. But not jam. You're saying like a kind of like a chewy jelly. Like a chewy QQ QQ texture. Remember? (laughs) We talked about QQ. (laughs) Yes. Our listeners should be uh, familiar with this term by now. Right. So the thing is that I think, you know, with the texture, it kind of goes with boba too. Mm. So I know a lot of the stores actually, when they have these kind of like, you know, boba tea place, if they run out of boba, they will ask you if you want to add those. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. They want, if you want the like, QQ jelly? QQ jelly. Uh-huh. The coconut jelly. Yes, and they're more healthy. Oh, are they? They are. Are those made of konjac? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So konjac is a um, seaweed-based jelly. Right. Which does not taste like seaweed. So for right. those of you who think you're going to get fish in your boba. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, gelatin. Yes. But it's more, it has a texture of chewiness in it's it. It's chewier than gelatin. Right. Okay. So you could also put aloe in your drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, See, coconut jellies. Yeah. I'm all right. Aloe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Aloe is great because it's also totally natural, like right. aloe vera. 
So those things, I think, you know, less calories mm-hmm. and better for your health. But I wouldn't put that in like milk tea. That would be kind of weird. Yeah. I mean, the texture doesn't mix. Okay. But I would put in like green tea or lemon tea. Coconut jelly, maybe. Mm, could do it. Right? Because coconut it. milk kind of have like a milk t- taste. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's creamy. Yeah. It's more creamy. <clears throat> less refreshing, more like... Rich and creamy, yeah? So, what else can we put in there? You could put some kinds of fruits. Some kinds of fruits are also chewy. Gummy bear. You could put gummy (laughs) gummy bears. (laughs) Imagine sucking one of those up through a straw. Stuck in my throat. Yeah, that would be kind of dangerous. We also want to just tell people to be careful what you eat, too. Uh So, so there are other options. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, if you can get tapioca starch, you can also make it yourself. Mm. And I'm going to be teaching everybody how to do that in our second course. All right, our master Andrew Ryan. All right. <laughs> I try. Okay. So we're going to go into another song. And this is the best match, Ji Yu Zhen Nai. So it's like fried filet of chicken mm-hmm. with the boba milk. These That's are right. like the best combination if you go to a night market. And very healthy, I'm sure. Yeah, like full <laughs> of calories and grease, okay? <laughs> this is by Ani Dola. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll be back in just a moment in the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen.
会滴滴答答，时间在奔跑啊，分分秒秒我们又变老了。说着说着，突然有些惆怅啦。叽叽喳喳，窗外又天亮了，一不小心我们又熬夜啦。什么话还没对我说吗？走上了你和我的小小舞台，又是平淡，又是精彩，大声说出和你的每一句对。Listening to Feast Meets West. Second course. Imagine life without the sweet QQ of boba. Sad, huh? Today I'm going to show you how to make a very simple boba with just three ingredients. So simple, in fact, that when you see headlines warning of a boba shortage, a boba apocalypse, you'll never have to worry again, because you're going to be able to make it yourself. So all you need is 100 grams of tapioca starch, 40 grams of brown sugar, and 65 grams of water. Start by boiling the water and adding the brown sugar. Mix it up good. Then pour the mixture into your tapioca starch and quickly combine. Once it's cool enough to touch, you're gonna want to get your hands in there and knead it. And you should be forewarned, this could take a while. If it's too dry, add a little hot water. If it's too wet, add a little starch. This is starting to look pretty good, like modeling clay. But actually, we have a small problem here. It's spreading like lava. I adjust by adding some more tapioca starch, and eventually, I get a nice doughy texture that doesn't stick to my hands. Next, I sprinkle the surface with tapioca starch and roll out about a quarter of the dough into a fat worm. Chop that baby up into tiny chunks, but you'll want them a little smaller than boba because they're going to expand when you cook them. Carefully roll each ball one at a time with two fingers in your palm. If they crumble, wet your fingers. And be sure to coat your boba babies with starch so they don't stick together. How about them bobas? Now it's time to cook them, and for that we need a liter of boiling water. Drop your boba in the pot and immediately begin stirring them to keep them from sticking together. Once they rise to the surface with a rolling boil. You'll want to cover the pot and cook them for 15 minutes. Here's what they look like after about 15 minutes. A little big, perhaps, but they've got a nice color and they're slightly translucent. Now I've turned off the heat. I'm going to let them luxuriate in this hot bath for another 10 minutes to get them nice and chewy at the center, or QQ as we say in Taiwan. At this point, you can run them under cold water if you don't want them to get too gloopy. But I head straight to the final step and add some brown sugar to sweeten them up. Don't these babies look delicious? Only thing that's missing now is some sweet Taiwanese milk tea to wash them down. And as you can imagine, we're going to prepare some milk tea when we return in our third course with Ellen Chu, and we're going to use it to sample the boba. But first, this is Bubble Dream. It's by Queen Wei Wei Ru Yun. Much more to come when the feast continues. 夜晚，纯白的夜，举起了星空，擦掉月亮的伪装，赶走跳跃的步伐前进，脱下孤单的无限，心跳成了我的入场券，戴上愚蠢的礼貌，左脚右脚旋转了微笑。Oh my bubble dream, all 
Okay, the moment of truth. Are you okay. ready for the phobe explosion? Yes. So did you think it was very hard when you were making it? I thought it was kind of hard, yeah, because... Wow, this looks like mothers of pearl. Yeah, they're huge. <laughs> they're huge. The big mama bobas. Mm. Um, wow, pretty good. Mm. <laughs> Do they pass the Ellen Chu test? Yeah. It has the texture. It's like the texture. It's UQ. It's okay, right? It's good. Um, I was really worried about the texture. We are not going to be afraid of any scarcity of boba, okay? Mm, just come to my place. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to be minting all our boba currency <laughs> right here in RTI. <laughs> minting boba currency. Boba coin. Yeah, look. Mm. You know, when people are addicted to this... 
if there was no more boba, uh-huh. they would trade things with you. Yeah, probably. Right? I think I would be worth a lot of money to my friends. I think you're going to become a millionaire now. <laughs> a boba millionaire. The only thing is these are a little bit too big. No, I think, you know, it has its advantage. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, when we see the big pearl, you know, in the... Uh, like the boba tea place, mm. I think they make it that size to fit through the straw, mm. right? That's right. So I make it bigger, so you have to use a spoon. <laughs> so you use a pipe. But <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> use a pipe. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Right. We don't need no straw. We don't need a straw. We got just, we got just pipes. tear down some pipes. <laughs> <laughs> we just tear this thing down. Look, <laughs> she's got pipes in the studio. Right. She's pulling apart the studio, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> in order to get the right size pipe for her boba. Yeah. I love it. Is it good? It's very good. And it's uh, brown sugary. I find mm-hmm. that if you make it yourself, the brown sugar taste is much clearer than if you buy it. Right. Because, you know, you need more of the cost, right? You increase the cost if you, like, make it more obvious. Mm. But I like it. Mm. Oh, I'm mm. glad you like it, Ellen Chu. Very much. We found success. Yes. And how do you revive it? So the, the trick to reviving it is when you make it the first time and you're done cooking it, mm-hmm. you actually... Uh, rinse it off, mm-hmm. rinse off the boba, and you put it in a, a freezer-safe plastic bag mm. in one layer, mm-hmm. and if possible, not touching each other. And then you freeze it as long as you want. I'd say like it's probably good for a couple months. Okay. And then when you pull it out, you let it sit for like maybe four or five minutes, mm-hmm. and then you pull apart the boba into individual balls, mm-hmm. toss it in boiling water for five minutes, turn off the heat, cover it, and let it sit for another five minutes. Okay. And then you pull it out and you put it in a bowl uh, without the water. Okay. And then you add brown sugar to taste and stir it up and you're good to go. Wow. Reactivated boba, baby. Easy like that. And you guys can actually make boba wherever you are. You know, just get all the ingredients and you're good to go. And one more question. Why do you have to rinse out the milk tea? Rinse it out. So the reason why you rinse the boba before you freeze it is because uh, if you rinse it, then the boba won't stick together as easily. So it actually ends up having like sugar and kind of like tapioca on the outside Mm -hmm. and it sticks together really easily. Okay. So if you like your boba to be separated, kind of like the one that you just had Mm -hmm. here, that's been rinsed. Okay. If you don't rinse it, it's also fine, but it just tends to be gloopier and they kind of tend to congregate inside your cup. Wow. Yeah. Look at the master. Bobaology. Yeah, bobaology. (laughs) I like that, okay? So it's simple as that, okay? And I guess it took, you know, Andrew, like how long to make it? Uh, this took me about, I would say, it takes about an hour, like from okay. start to finish. It's not super fast. Uh-huh. The first time you cook it, it takes a good 20 minutes plus sitting for 10 minutes. Uh-huh. But it's the tricky part is the rolling it out because okay. it tends to be very sticky. Oh, okay. So you want to get the right consistency. Yeah. You got it right. I hope so, baby. Yeah, it's very good. Yummy. I wish you guys were here, you know, tasting his boba. It's really nice. Maybe we can have a little uh, meeting, a boba meeting. Yeah. And people can taste it in person. Yeah, and then figure out which one belongs to you. Oh. We buy it from a store. Maybe next time we have an intern or somebody sitting here. Let's, you know, buy like three different uh, oh, places. Yeah. And one of them would be yours. We'll do a blind taste right. test. Right. And ask them which one is the best and which one do they think that you made. And then they have to pay me in boba currency. Right. <laughs> if right. I'm right. Okay. <laughs> All right. 
All right, so have uh, a little think about what you uh, think about Boba mm-hmm. and send us what your thoughts are. Our address is P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Email us at androo at rti.org.tw. That's and next right. next week. Yes, what are we going to be doing? We are going to talk about a food oxymoron. Wow. <laughs> not Ellen Chu. She is not our oxymoron. Okay. <laughs> well, we do have morons here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about oxymoron. Yeah. And easy treat that both frozen and roasted. Wow. Can hmm. you imagine a food that's both frozen and roasted? Hmm. Interesting. So one chef says that it tastes similar to caramel ice cream, but you know what? I have my doubts. Okay. We're going to find out next week. All right. So we're going to find out about the truth. But one final song is called Zhenzhu Nai Cha, Pearl Milk Tea. And this is by Ping Guan. For Fishing Sauce, I'm Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. We'll see you next week. Bye. Hey, Shinquang 酒坊莫犯过热情 你是我认定的天主生活像是该怎么落笔简单几句写下全都是你你是我认定的天主平淡日子半糖也满足你是我的珍珠在我掌心捧住为你心动片刻不由自主把幸运风住小小世界里彼此照顾
RTI, exercise for your mind. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.